Welcome to the online teaching ministry of Pastor Rob Ginter and Farmdale Baptist Church. For more content, visit us online at farmdalebaptist.com. I don't know if you've ever said this before, but I've heard it a lot. How did you know that you were supposed to do something and they would respond with, it was a God thing? It was a God thing. That's how I knew I was supposed to do it. It was a God thing. And you push further and you say, how did you know it was a God thing that you were supposed to do this certain thing? And how they knew that it was a God thing that they were supposed to do this thing is because it worked out. It was easy. It just kind of all worked out. And I'm not saying that God doesn't supernaturally make things work out and that he doesn't um, open doors, so to speak. But the issue that we have is the difficulty level of a situation, right? How hard it is cannot be the determining factor with whether or not we believe that course of action is God's will or pleasing to him. So how do you know that God is pleased with that? Well, he let me do it. It's a terrible, terrible way to make decisions because we all know that he, when one door closes, he, I don't, what does he do? He does something. When God closes a door, he does something else, right? He opens a window. And if, and if he opened a window and somebody drove by and you were trying to get in that house through the window that God opened, they're probably going to call the cops on you. So if God closes the door, don't be climbing through a window because your neighbor, their neighbor is going to call the cops. Don't do that. So if I'm removing the path of least resistance or the easiest thing ahead, how are we going to make decisions then? If an open door is not equal to the way that you should go, right? Sir, what are you doing in this house? Put your hands where I can see them. What are you doing in this house? Well, the door was open. All right, uh, let's come on out to my car. You can lean against it, put your hands behind your back, and we'll head on downtown, right? So an open door, an easy situation, is not particularly the way that we determine what we should do or what's God's will. What do we do then if that's not the case? Well, let's look at the text together. So in Acts chapter 21, the Apostle Paul is getting close to going to Jerusalem. And it is in Jerusalem in which that he is going to face a really difficult road. So what's happening here in these first 16 verses is everyone is trying to talk him out of his trip to Jerusalem. And in it, we see why he knows that the road ahead is difficult and he still goes down it. And you need this because if you look at the future and you look at a really difficult situation, you're going to be tempted to run. Not just because you're scared. You're going to be tempted to run because people might come beside you and be like, hey, listen, you realize that if you take this course of action and you go ahead down that road, that it's going to be painful for you, so you probably shouldn't go. To make these decisions, it's going to be hard, so you shouldn't go. You shouldn't do it. You're going to have those people in your life that are going to try to push you away from godliness towards laziness towards easiness. I don't know if easiness, is that a word? Is it? Thank you. 
And instead of that, we have to have a better guiding principle than our comfort. And we'll see what that is here in this text. But the overarching principle of what we should do is we should, you should follow God's will. You should follow God's will. You should desire that the Lord's will be done. And how do you know what that is? How do you know what the Lord's will is? How do you know what God's will is? How do you know? Here, in the middle of this, they go, well, let the Lord's will be done. What is it? I mean, is it something you're going to find like it's lost? Like you're going to go find God's will somewhere? Check under your couch. That's probably first place. But under your couch. No, it's not something like that. Instead, there's two uh, different words in the New Testament used to describe the will of God. One means that this is the will of desire for God, that he, in the two categories we see, there's God's desire in each situation. And the second one, as R.C. Sproul put it, it's it's the will of decree, things that God uh, will bring about in the future. So you can say the revealed will and the secret will, but we'll simplify it even more. There are things that God has told you that you should do that is his will. And there are things that God is coordinating in the way he controls the world that you don't know anything about. There's those two things, right? And what we, what we want to know is the future. You're probably not going to do that. Probably not going to know that one. But instead, we need to look at how to apply God's will of desire to our circumstances. That's how we'll figure out, should we take that job? Should we retire? Should you retire? Should you have another kid? Should you not have another kid? Should you stay in your house where you are or should you move? Should you stay here at Farmdale? You should. You should. You should. Sorry, I'm just trying to apply the scriptures. But what we're doing here is we, we, we look, we're looking at what Paul does. He is doing God's will. We need to be careful when we uh, tread out on this because Paul is saying this is God's will for me to do this and people coming aside and saying, no, it's not. In fact, Acts 20, verse 22, he said he's going to Jerusalem constrained or bound by the Spirit. So he's hooked like a trailer to the truck of the Holy Spirit, and he is pulling him to Jerusalem. He can't help but follow the Spirit's leading to Jerusalem. He got the call of the Spirit of God, and he answered it to go to Jerusalem. And in that, uh, we see this journey. And, and what's the start of the journey here? Well, Luke, uh, in verse 1, he writes of his journey with Paul leaving the Ephesian elders. We spent three weeks on the six uh, needs of a faithful Christian. If you're a faithful Christian, you need these six things. You can check it out on our Facebook or website. And he is now leaving the Ephesian elders to go to Jerusalem. So if you look at verse 1 of chapter 21, um, it said, and when he had parted from them and we set and set sail. We came by a straight course to Kos, or if you want to correct my pronunciation on that, it could be Kos uh, or Kosco. I don't know, uh, but it's not. Uh, but you're, if you have a CSB Bible, it, it says that we tore ourselves away, or we we tore ourselves away from them. 
And it brings out the parting or, or parting that they're talking about there in verse one. So what is he talking about? They had connections to where they were with the Ephesian elders. These were faithful men of Ephesus that Paul is talking about there. And if you have your CSB, it says they tore themselves away. You felt the same compulsion before, right? You have this relationship probably with your bed in which that the house is cold, the bed is warm, and you you don't want to get out of it yet because maybe you hadn't had a good night's sleep in a while and you finally got one and you, you don't want it to end. So you know there's work to be done. You know there's things to do, but that bed feels pretty good. So you want to stay in it. You're tired, and it takes a lot of energy to drag your tail out of your bed. However, the rest has to end, and there's something else to do. So what do we see here in in chapter 21, verse 1? A parting from the apostle Paul and a leaving, a tearing himself away from comfort. He's tearing himself away from probably what was comfortable and encouraging into an unknown future. And why would he tear himself away from a place that he wanted to be? Why would he go somewhere else than where he wanted to be? Because his comfort was not the guiding factor for how his life ought to be ran. And if it is you, if that is the guiding factor for how your life ought to go, what makes you comfortable, buckle up. You're not in for comfort, you're in for trouble. If you seek for comfort, you'll get trouble. If you figure out how to be okay with uncomfortable, you'll have something else. It's called faithfulness to God, faithfulness to the scriptures. But my friends, it is not a comfortable road. It is not. So the rest has to end. He has to keep going. He has to leave company. So the will of God, compelled by the Holy Spirit, he said, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. So he leaves comfort for the unknown, for it's difficult. But here's the problem that I mentioned earlier. Paul runs across all kinds of people who told him, this can't possibly be the will of God for you because there's misconceptions of what kind of a situation that God might want you in, want you to remain in. Think about the implications for this. Just because something is painful doesn't mean God wants you out of it. Give you an example, marriage. No one would ever stay married if they always wanted the easy road. No one would ever stay married if they always wanted comfort and ease. You wouldn't stay married five minutes. You probably would. You'd go on your honeymoon and that'd be it. And you'd, you'd have to unpack. And, and then that unpacking is uncomfortable. And then it would be over. Because the first moment of, of, of discomfort would end it all for us. No one would ever share the gospel, ever. You'd never talk about the Lord Jesus, his perfect life, death, and resurrection, and death for sinners. You would never do that if you always did what was comfortable for you. You would never do it. Why? Because when one person talks about the gospel and and another person's need of the Lord Jesus, as it's been said, they're two of the most uncomfortable people in the world talking about the most important thing in the world. And that would never happen if we made our decisions for God's will based on our 
comfort. But alas, the apostle and his crew did leave their elders on the way to Jerusalem. And uh, they, as you see in the text, the ship there aboard stops at Tyre to unload cargo. And the church in Tyre, ironically, had been founded based on persecution from, you remember it back in Acts chapter 6, six through 11, uh, Stephen's martyrdom, in which that Paul approved of the execution of one of the deacons of the church, which spread out. And that's why Tyre started, the church at Tyre. Now he ironically stays at a church with a group of people that him hunting other Christians started. So he comes around, verse four. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Holy Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Acts 20, the Holy Spirit compels Paul to go. Acts 21, these people in verse 4 are telling Paul in the spirit, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't do it. So what's happening here? Is the Holy Spirit speaking out of both sides of his mouth? No, that's not what's happening. Both people here are seeing the same future, the same difficult road ahead, perceiving that this is going to be hard. Paul wants to go, and they don't want him to go. They're all looking at the rough road together. The apostle said, yeah, that's the road. Look at the difficulty. He said, it's a hard road. It's a difficult road. Then I'm going to go down it. Verse 4, they look at it and say, no, no, you shouldn't. And it is in this that we see three instances when we must follow God's will, the first one being even when it confuses others, even when it confuses others. So you must follow God's will when it confuses others. Paul's mission to Jerusalem had been given by the Lord. The Spirit would have never commanded him to abandon the mission that he gave him. This shows us we don't make decisions based on a poll of public opinion. We don't. That's not how we do it. We don't go around, what does everybody think I should do? And everybody says, this is what you should do. And then you go do it. But that, my friends, is not how it ought to be done. We don't ask outsiders to look at our life and see if they agree with the direction that we're going. And then we follow what God has called us to do if they're okay with it. Now, there, there is biblical, I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't take and seek godly counsel. In fact, three weeks ago, I talked about how you need to be connected to the shepherding ministries of the church. So there, there is times when we should submit ourselves to godly counsel, particularly within the church leadership. That's not what I'm talking about here. But I'm saying everyone doesn't have to be okay with the sacrifice you're making with, for the Lord for you to sacrifice for the Lord. Everybody doesn't have to do that. Even if you're not a football fan, you probably know what it means to be an armchair quarterback. I mean, you probably don't even know what a quarterback is. You might not, but you probably know what an armchair quarterback is, don't you? It's somebody who's not in the game, but believes with that, with a little bit of information that they want and are able to give you advice from where they're sitting, that they can make better decisions from the safety of their lazy boy than you can in your life. How often do you actually solicit advice compared to when you get it, right? Like, do we all have signs on our forehead that it's like, tell me what to do? I'm confused. We don't, do we? But there is a plethora of unsolicited opinions out there. That's why the internet exists, because people want to tell each other what to do. That's, that's why we have an internet, because people want to tell you what to do. Even if we didn't have an internet, people would still want to tell you what to do. 
unless we're the armchair quarterback of other people's lives, we probably have been coached before, right? Like there's a job now, it's called life coach. Why do they need a title? Like, doesn't everyone want to coach you in your life? Now, if I were you, let me tell you what you do. Let me tell you what you ought to do. That's normally like, they get paid. They get paid to give their opinions to people. But anyway, it's wise and biblical to listen to others. But if God has plainly spoken on a subject, it doesn't matter if we're being told we're on the wrong side of history. That's irrelevant. Public opinion is irrelevant when the scriptures speak very plainly about things. And we need to be very careful about a people who have a very small amount of information and decide to give us advice on big decisions. We have to be okay with everyone not agreeing with the direction that we're going if we're going in the direction of God's will. And you go, well, that's not really that helpful to say that everybody doesn't have to agree with what you're wanting, where, where I'm supposed to go. See here in verse four, naturally Paul was marked, he's a marked man on a journey to the headquarters of people who hate him. So it's only natural for people to say, you should probably not do that. But it's not only that. It's not only that. These people had, had good intentions for Paul, but they didn't agree with what, where he was going. It's not, not really helpful to say that, that other people can be confused about the direction. The issue is why they were confused about the direction. What was, what was the issue? Well, the issue was is that it was going to be very difficult. So verse 5 and following shows us we must follow God's will when it is costly. When it's costly. When it's costly. Now, he prays for the people of Tyre in verse 5. And they continued traveling home, the home of Philip Evangelist. You know why they left Tyre? Because they were tired of it. Thank you for those three pity laughs. Really appreciate you. It's Father's Day gift for me. I thank you for that. So, so they left Tyre and they went to the home of Philip the Evangelist. And we know him from Acts chapter 6. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now, these aren't four women preachers that are trying to join the SBC. Uh, is that too soon? Could be. I don't know. But what, what this was, this was the, they were prophetesses. I love that word. But they, so they spoke, God used them to give revelation. That's what prophetesses says. says. I don't know how many scissors are in there, but I, he, he used them to give revelation. Now, if there was only a complete final revelation from God that made their office irrelevant and closed, which is what happened shortly after the book of Acts, the uh, scriptures were then fulfilled and the apostles died. Apostles and prophets all died. And now we speak from the scriptures. But before the closing of that generation, there were both prophets and prophetesses. And in that, um, these people, uh, there was one who came down from Jerusalem and he prophesied about Paul. So he spoke from God revelation here in verse 11. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns the belt and deliver him to the hand of the Gentiles. Just like entire, these Christians are astonished 
by what's going to happen to Paul, and then he keeps going anyway. He keeps going anyway. In verse 11, the Holy Spirit makes it clear he's going to get arrested. Agabus acts out the prophet, prophecy just like Ezekiel did in the Old Testament. He said it's going to happen like this, and he ties himself up. Then upon hearing this, verse 12, when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. So do you see what's happening here in verse 12? It says, when we, this is a we passage. It doesn't mean like a real small one. You know, like th- this is a, the Luke who wrote this book is now in on the journey. So he's saying in verse 12 that the writer of this is agreeing with the sentiment that he shouldn't go to Jerusalem. You see what's happening here because he was with the Ephesian elders. He had a relationship with them. He goes to Tyre in, in, in Caesarea, knew some of these people for like a week probably. And they're like, you shouldn't do this. It's like, oh, thank you, person that I just met last week for giving me advice about the direction of my life. I really appreciate it. But I'm still going to Jerusalem. Then Agabus, the prophet, comes and says, this is going to happen to you in Jerusalem. And then verse 12, Luke joins in, who most of us think is is the attending of traveling doctor of the apostle Paul. And he himself is saying, just don't do it. Just don't do it. You see how the circle is getting tighter. It's getting tighter on Paul. It's getting tighter on Paul. Verse 13, he says, Why, what are you doing? You're breaking my heart. So first, people who he doesn't really know is like, stop, stop, don't do it, don't do it. Then his own traveling doctor, the guy with him on this trip who's going with him goes, we should, no, we probably should turn around here. We should turn around here. And he says, why are you doing this? It's breaking my heart. Verse 13, the word for breaking is used for how they would stonewash laundry. Most, I mean, probably half of you all stonewash your own laundry still, but for those that don't, uh, what they would do is they would take a rock and they would pound their, their laundry to help get it clean. And he's telling you, what you're saying to me is pounding on my heart that you don't want me to go. The core of who he is, he's in turmoil because he received the word from the Lord and everywhere he goes, people are trying to get him to take an easier road. And this is one of the biggest misunderstandings about God's will. Is they thought because something is costly that it couldn't be godly. And that is absolutely not true. Just because a decision, a certain set course of action is costly and painful and difficult doesn't mean that it is not God's will specifically for you to do it. Things don't appear to be working out for me in this situation. Not a good reason to stop. Not a good reason to stop. This marriage is taking a toll on me. It should. It should end your life. <laughs> one flesh for one life, right? It should be the, the beginning and the end of your life, you know, like theoretically, you know, like, but, but people say things like that. And I know that God wants me to be happy. So all terrible ways to sin. All terrible ways to make bad decisions. In fact, I've even walked through with people through sinful situations. And I, I, I never forget this. I remember this one girl I was talking to, she, she, she wouldn't agree with the course of action I was trying to get her to take because she said it made her uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. I'm saying this is what repentance would look like. No, I can't do that. That would hurt too much. You realize that that's not necessarily how it works. 
What everybody assumes is if a situation is difficult, painful, or uncomfortable, God is not the one who put them there or willing that they remain there, and that is not true. This is why last week's sermon, or well, two weeks ago, is so important, because when we say things like this, it must be hard, so it can't be from God. It means that we've at least bought into some type of the prosperity gospel, like to some little bit of it, right? There's roots there. It's growing up. The poison is growing up and strangling because if we believe that our life has to go a certain way, we have this idolatry of how things should look and how they should be, how comfortable and easy things ought to be. We've, we've believed a false gospel component and we're headed towards a fall, a discouragement. Quite the opposite. God's will is not based on our comfort. Not at all. Often we miss God's will because we don't expect it to be the hard road. When in fact, Jesus, here's what it describes in Luke 9.23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In other words, following me won't be comfortable for you. You have to deny yourself to come with me. This is talking about a method of execution. So most of us spurn against the will of God because we think it's a pillow for our head instead of a cross for our back. When in fact, that's what Jesus describes discipleship like here in Luke. Notice we're following one who gave himself to the cross fully on our behalf. So we're not receiving an invite to a slumber party. No, Jesus's life was the one that paid the ultimate cost on our behalf. Because you may be misunderstood by others, right? That, that this looks crazy because of the high price for the obedience that you are being asked to pay. But when you do it, you're in good company. You're in good company. Because the Lord Jesus, though misunderstood by very many people, paid the price for our sins. And when he was there on the cross, he had one of the thieves that were dying next to him with this temptation that we're tempted to do all the time. One of the thieves on the cross next to Jesus said, save yourself, save yourself. If you're really the Christ, you will save yourself. Did he save himself? No, not really. He went ahead and gave up his spirit. When tempted to save himself, what did the Lord Jesus do? He spent himself. He spent himself. And here is Paul trying his best to walk the same road. And as he walks down the road, everywhere he goes, people come up to him and say, don't you want to save yourself? Don't you want to save yourself? And how does he respond? How does he respond? Verse 13, and Paul answered, what are you doing? Weave to break my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. So he says he's ready to go to prison, even his grave, and the reason why, for the name of the Lord Jesus. So what does he do here? They're confused by it. It's costly for him. But ultimately, we must follow God's will when it's centered on Christ. So they go to Paul and they go, save yourself. And he goes, no, I'm going to spend myself for Christ. And I have went ahead, I've done the math ahead of time, and it's, if it costs me my, my life, I'm ready to pay that one. I'm ready to pay that bill when it comes in. I can tell you that you, my friends, are alive for the very same reason. 
the very same reason that you might be spent for Christ. For Christ. Here's how Derek Thomas describes Paul's attitude. He says, for the apostle, suffering was the Jesus way. It was not something to avoid at all costs. It was to be embraced seriously and joyfully as expressive of God's use of us to accomplish his purposes, which even if we cannot fathom them are more glorious than anything we could even imagine. For the Christian, the ultimate direction of our life is following the person and pattern in the life of the Lord Jesus. And when you hear this, right? So we're trying to discern how to make decisions with our life and how to go this way instead of that way. Well, it can't be based on public opinion and it can't be based on what's the easiest road. Then what is the answer? I've taken everything from you. Don't pick the path that they all want you to go to. Don't pick the easiest path. Three, ask this question. What would put the Lord Jesus on display? What would put him on display in my life, in this situation, in this marriage, in this grandparenting? What would make him look good? And when I ask that question, your mind automatically might go to guilt. I'm not making decisions based on the Lord Jesus. Uh, Everything... I've got these situations and they're not going the direction, the way of the Lord Jesus. Well, W.A. Criswell pointed out something interesting about the Mississippi River. Everybody knows that it flows from north to south and eventually goes from Canada to Mexico. That's what it does. But if you were to drop down on one part of it, sometimes you find it flowing north to south, or sometimes it flows west. You might just drop down at a certain part of it, and it's not, it's not going to Mexico. You see, what happens is our life seems to, to be a lot like that, in which that there we, we turn off away, and it, and it doesn't honor Christ. And our decision-making gets askewed, and we are not honoring to the Lord. You see, it's just a temporary direction. But if we are a Christian, we need to zoom out and see the ultimate direction of the Lord Jesus in our life. So when we look at the direction, this is, this is the opportunity to repent, right? We're not making it to Mexico like this. This is the opportunity to, to repent and not just have guilt, right? Because our life, it cannot be determined by this moment. Our life must be determined by Christ and the ultimate direction towards him. Because if you look at it just now, how are you doing right now in this moment? It could be good, it could be bad, it could be ridiculous, it could be guilty. Probably is. But as a Christian, our ultimate direction needs to be flowing in the Jesus way, the Jesus direction. The ultimate direction of our life needs to, be, needs to do that. So we, we look at this and we take our big questions and we bring it to the text and we say, he's, they're saying, let the will of the Lord be done. What does it look like? Well, how, do, how should I retire? Yes, you should retire if you have a plan to exalt Christ in retirement. If you don't, you might not, should, might not do that. Should you move or take a different job? Is this move 
honoring the Lord? Do you have a plan, a way to honor the Lord in this circumstance? Do you have it? You might need to rethink of it. Think it. How do you know what exalts Christ? Well, the perfect thing about the will of God is it is perfectly aligned and derived from the word of God. That's how we know. All of our life is just an application of these scriptures. Every bit of it. Everything is that. Do you see how this takes pressure off of us when we make decisions? There's no more paralysis. There's less fear. Asking the question, what gives Christ the most glory? And then doing that one. It's a really good start on our decision-making. That's why Paul says, I could, I, I'm already ready to go there and to die. Why? Because he lives with the purpose of Christ. He wrote this in Romans chapter 14. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. That's why I said the ultimate direction. You may be going west right now. It is time to flow and go south to obedience to the Lord Jesus. Why? Because he owns you. Whether you live, you live for the Lord. Whether you die, you die for the Lord. He is the owner, operator, everything in between of us. We are his. So that's why we would look at our life, look at the decision we're trying to make, and ask the question, is this centered on Christ? When we desire to be obedient, to please the Lord, to do, do his will, it's going to be misunderstood by others probably. It's going to be costly for you. But in the long run, it'll point to the direction of the Lord Jesus. And you will do this because you realize that your entire life is for him. And if you die, your death is for him. If you're not a Christian today, you're probably making your decisions based on what's easiest. You're probably making your decision on what is going to make the most people happy. The Bible speaks about this. There is a road that leads to destruction, and it's wide. And it says many will be there on it. Meanwhile, the road that leads to life is narrow, and few will find it. If you polled the world about what you should do, it would lead to your destruction. If we could all agree, agree on a direction, there's a way that seems right to a man, right? What seems right to us. And in the end, that way is death. So if you tried to make everybody happy, you would be missing one person who would definitely not be happy. God. God. You would not live for the pleasure of God if you polled the culture, the town, or even your family. So it's not on public opinion. It's not on the easy road. It is on the road that honors Christ. That is how we do it. And how might we do that? We realize that if we live, we're his, and we're, if we die, we're his. Ultimately, we all belong to him. A powerful example of this comes from the missionary James Calvert. I don't know if, if any of you all have heard of him, but he is a missionary who went to uh, the Fiji Islands in the South Pacific 
And his first job there as a missionary was to gather up the bones of 80 victims of a cannibal feast. And when he went there, these people were so savage that what they would do is they, when they would change between kings in these islands, when one king would come about, uh, it was their custom to strangle all of the women in the king's household before the new king could take the throne. And during this time, Mr. Calvert offered even to have one of his own fingers cut off as a missionary in order to keep the, can- <laughs> keep the cannibals from promising that they wouldn't strangle any more women. To stop the strangling, he lost a finger. You'd say, what would make a man live like that? What would make a man live like that? Well, we learned the answer on James Calvert's way to Fiji. He's on his way there. And the ship's captain tried to get him to turn back. Captain of the boat comes to James Calvert and says, you don't need to go this way. You don't need to go this way. If you go among such savages, you will lose your life and the lives of those with you. To that, Calvert replied, we died before we came here. We died before we came here. Are our desires the ultimate factor for the direction of our lives. If that's true, if our unsanctified, ungodly desires are the ultimate factor for how we run our lives, we're going to be in trouble. That they need to be put to death. From Paul's own mouth, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live I live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As it's been said, you can't kill a dead man. Paul had already died, and he died on the Damascus Road. He already died about 10, 10 11 chapters ago. And when did, when did he die? He died when he met Christ. Did he live after that? Oh, yes. Yes, he did. But you see, he didn't live for himself anymore. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. And he knew that his life was hidden with Christ and God. So every decision, even difficult decisions, weren't based on what he wanted to do. He wasn't the reason he made his decisions. Christ was the reason he made his decisions. And here we are, like the Mississippi River, trying to get to Mexico and we look at our life and it looks like it's flown west right now. And you hear these words and you hear this reason why he would spurn everyone and go die for Christ. And we look at our own little lives and we go, I'm pathetic compared to all that. You might be, I am. But Christ is still worthy of a change in our direction. He's still worthy. So we hear these words and our lives would then be changed when we understand that we have taken ourselves and identified with Christ so closely that we have been crucified with him and now we live by our trust, banking our entire life in him. So now there is a, according, as a cultural standpoint, everybody look at our life, there is another who is now guiding and making our decisions. It is now based on not pleasing ourselves, not saving ourselves, 
but spending ourselves for Christ. That is what God is commanding and offering of your, for your lives. For you to spend them to make his son look good from the neighborhoods to the nations. There's probably, there could be all kinds of things that's pushing again, like crowding this out, pushing, choking this out. And what is it? You living for you. Maybe I, what, I won't be comfortable. It's, you probably shouldn't be. You probably shouldn't be. You've probably gotten a little too comfortable with your life and with what you think God wants you to do and who you think God want, wants you to be so you don't repent. You walk out, you, you stay the same. You don't take risks. You don't do anything like that. You stay comfortable. You run from comfort, from, from, from struggle. You run from persecution. And as we look at this text, when you run, you run from God's pleasure for the direction of your life. Now, if you're a Christian, God is pleased with you by what Christ has done in your place. But his will looks like you conforming your life to the spending of it for his son. If you're not a Christian today, you need to turn from your sin and trust solely in the person of the Lord Jesus because he spent himself for you, for you. By living the life that God required of you that you could not live, he lived it for you. By dying the death that you were even unworthy to die, like you can go die on a cross if you want, but you're going to hell afterwards. Jesus died on the cross as the one and only sacrifice for sin. And he died and was buried. Three days later, he rose up from the grave, victorious, defeating death, hell, and the grave, and purchasing men for God from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language on the earth. His death did that. And what does his life do? It proves that God was pleased with the son, and it points the direction that we should go. So let's spend our lives on that, for that, for him. Can you quote Galatians 2.20 about your life? Is Jesus' ownership of you coming out in your life, specifically? If you're not a Christian, you need to come get me. Pastor Jonathan will be up here as well. We'll talk about that. There is a way to spend your life that matters and that is significant and that will please God. And it is only his son that does that. If you're not a Christian, you need to come get me. We can talk about that. If you are a Christian, I ask that you would turn from making your selfish, comfortable decisions to one who is worthy of all uncomfort, worthy of all struggle, to the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would do this for us, in us, and instead of us even. You can form our lives and our decision-making to the image of your son, Jesus. Please do this in our hearts. We pray that your will would be done and that your son would be honored by what we do. In Jesus' name, amen.